can't stand traffic. Oh my gosh, I just can't. Okay, listen, who's a rule follower in the room? Raise your hand. Who's a rule follower? Okay, who thinks rules are suggestions? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, a lot more people than I expected to admit that in church. All right. Well, listen, I grew up learning to drive in Miami and India. So there is no hope for me following the speed limit. I have tried. And if you've ever been to India, speed limits there, there's suggestions. So are red lights. So good luck trying to cross the street. It's like playing Frogger with your life. Like it's crazy learning that. Anyways, can't stand being stuck in traffic. Um, Hey, for this series, we've been talking about this thing where we've just been running at this pace of life, trying to accomplish everything we want to accomplish. Why? Because we like to feel successful, right? If you're like me, at the end of the day, when my head hits the pillow, I want to say I move the ball forward. I feel successful. And so for me, the problem is it causes me not to want to slow down. I hate going slow. Anybody with me? Oh my gosh, if you want to stand around and chit-chat with me, I'll do it for like five seconds, but then I need to go move and do something else. Uh, Like I'm just someone who likes to keep moving fast, quickly. For example, driving on the interstate, if you're going below the speed limit, I apologize, but I'm riding your bumper. Like, I'm sorry. I just, I want to go fast all the time. Like, for, let me explain. Maybe you've been in this situation with me. I, because I like to go fast, I want to make the most of my day. I want to be so efficient with how I move throughout my day. In traffic, when I'm pulling up to a red light, I look at every single lane before I choose which lane. Like, maybe this lane has five cars, but over here, it's only got three. Which one do I pick? The three. Even if that means I'm in this lane and I have to move all the way over here right? At the grocery store, I love to just stand there and say, okay, let me analyze which is the most efficient lane. Okay, this one is the self-checkout lane. It's got about seven people in it, but this lane is the only lane open with a teller, but they have somebody, they have one person in it, so I'm going to go over there, right? No, their cart is full, and when their cart is full, that's going to take forever, and when their cart is full, that means they're buying for a month, which means they have coupons, and if they've got coupons, that could take forever because not every single coupon lines up. I'm going over here, but while I'm here, I'm looking at that line. And if I notice they don't pull out coupons, I'm coming back over here, right? See, I am so busy that I multitask while going to the bathroom. I'm doing business while doing business. Am I allowed to say that in church? Hey, listen, let's take a cue from our boy, Andy Stanley. Just be honest with yourself. You do it too. Anyways, that's for people like me. Maybe you resonate with me. Doctors have started to diagnose this thing as a sickness. They're calling it hurry sickness. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. It's this pace of life where you feel like there's not enough hours in the day to accomplish everything you want to accomplish. And it's that feeling when your heart doesn't stop beating quickly until you go to sleep. But then as soon as you wake up, you realize how much you didn't get done the day before. So it starts right back up, right? And it feels like you can never catch up. Send that email, finish that project, take the kid to school, cook dinner, go buy groceries, finish that project, study for that test, et cetera, et cetera. And it never seems to end. And this pace of life can cause us to realize that something is missing and cause us to go, there has to be a better way because it's not helping me become the person I want to be to help me become the me I want to be. It's not helping me have better relationships, better reactions, better responses. Because when I'm looking at the person who I'm talking to, I'm not thinking about this conversation. I'm actually thinking about what I need to do next. So there has to be a better way. And last week, we talked about there was a better way. That the antidote to hurry sickness is actually called the way of Jesus. Because when you look at the life of Jesus in scripture, he's never described as someone who runs quickly. He's never described as someone who even jogs 
who even skips or even Olympic speed walks to wherever he's going. He's never like to the disciples, hey, come on, guys, can you please hurry it up? No, he walked everywhere, and yet he was still busy. He never lived a hurried life, and he accomplished so much stuff in his life that we're still talking about him today. So we need to learn his way and follow his way. And last week, we talked about the start of this is by a statement he made, the way we walk slower and have a different pace of life is through this statement where he said, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, who stay connected to me, who abide in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, will help you become the person you want to be and ultimately who your heavenly father wants you to be. And then he ends with this bold statement. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from Jesus, what we learned is there's, you can keep trying to live this way, but if you keep living the same way, what's going to happen with the result? The same result you've been getting instead of this life where you feel like you've developed fruit, peace, all these different things that you want to live. But here's the thing. When we, the way to start doing that is by practicing the pause, this leadership principle. And the way we determine to practice the pause by slowing down and slowing our speech and our pace is by saying a prayer. And here's the prayer we talked about last week. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. See, when you do this, you'll not just walk slower. You'll remind yourself to stay connected to Jesus. He is your source of strength. He is the one who helps you live a better way. And it, a better way. And it reminds you, that you don't have to get angry in traffic. You can let people merge in front of you. You can produce fruit that is better for you and for the people around you. And this fruit is it's, 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 it's something we all want in our lives that we've tried to produce ourselves, but we can't earn it, can we? Otherwise, we would have done that. We wouldn't need a talk like this. Now, here's the problem. Last week, you heard this great message and you got inspired and you're like, I'm going to practice the pause. God, help me walk slowly enough to um, experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. And you do it for like a week. But then what happens? Well, it's hard to slow down because there's kids asking for your attention. There's work asking for your attention. There's meals to be cooked. There's vacations to plan. There's tests to be studied for. There's all these things that keep coming and coming your way. And what happens is we get distracted. We get constantly distracted. Why? Because of life, right? A kid might get sick. A car breaks down, a test pops up that you forgot about, maybe even uh, work throws a project in your lap that you didn't know about, or even someone new comes into your life that you really want to pay more attention to, if you know what I'm saying. And so whatever happens, though, something distracts us from following this way, and it just causes us to keep going back into hurry sickness. So how do you stay focused? How do you not fall back into the life that you keep living, even though we keep trying to practice the pause and follow the way of Jesus? For me, I was reminded of something when I went and got my oil change recently. And you know when you get an oil change, they give you a comprehensive list of things that you need to fix. And so for me, an advisor comes up to me after uh, the oil change, and he's like, hey, Rahul, um, you need some new tires. And I paused, and I was like, hold on. I just bought tires less than a year ago. I was hoping to get two, maybe three years out of them. And he's like, oh, well, you really only need your two front tires. And it's because your tread is worn and it's only on the edges your tread is worn. So let me ask you a question. Did you get your alignment checked when you bought your new tires? No, I, uh, it was too expensive and I was going to go somewhere else that I knew was cheaper, but I, life, you know, it just didn't do it. It was like, you need your car aligned 
that's why you need tires quicker than expected. And it made me realize that we need to minimize distractions and stay on alignment because everything needs alignment. For example, if you were on a plane and the captain didn't pay attention to the, to, to the heading of where you were going and it was off by 0.5 degrees, what would happen if you were traveling for 12 hours? You would end up at a totally different destination even though it was a small incorrection, Right? But instead, the pilot or even a captain of a ship is constantly monitoring the navigation system to make sure you are on course to arrive at your intended destination. And that's the same for us. If we're going to try and live this better way to follow the way of Jesus, we've got to stay aligned to our end goal. Now, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, this is extremely important because for us, it can cause us to get off course quicker than we expected. And by the time we realize it, we're way off course. To, to really living the way God wants us to live. And it's not like you're gonna end up immediately overnight, renounce your faith in Jesus. It's not like that. It's more of this slow fade that happens. John Ortberg uh, explains it this way. He's a pastor uh, out in California. And he says it this way. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we're gonna settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. See, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we don't stay aligned to following this way, we just end up going through the motions, don't we? We just end up living life. I've read my Bible today or this week, check. Been to church, check. I've prayed over my food, check. And our faith doesn't end up dictating how we live. Instead, your life dictates your faith. And you don't experience the full life that Jesus promises us. And you don't get to experience Jesus fully. And you end up falling back into that rat race of life, that hamster wheel that makes you go, am I ever going to get out of this thing? And so if we desire to live the way of Jesus, we have got to stay aligned. If we desire to have better relationships, better, um, so we don't blow up at people or even burn the bridges of the relationships we already have, and we want to produce the fruit that Jesus talked about, we have to stay aligned and minimize distractions. Now, last week, we talked about what that fruit specifically looks like according to what Paul said in his letter to the, letter to the Galatians. <laughs> later. He said this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, you know what that is, right? Not blowing up when a kid interrupts you on a phone call. That's what self-control is. And he ends with this statement, which is where I want to pick up. He says, there is no law against these things. This is not a checklist or a to-do list. This is a results list. You can't make these things happen. And this law, the Galatians were constantly trying to earn God's love. Well, because that's what the law used to do. You had to follow a certain law of these commandments. And if you didn't, your relationship with God was severed. And you had to sacrifice an animal to get back to it. The Galatians kept falling into that trap going, well, if I want to please God and to be, to not, and to, I have to strive for his love and keep working for his love. And if I want to get these results, I've got to follow that. And what Paul is trying to remind them is, no, you don't. There is no law anymore against these things because Jesus came and abolished law. He fulfilled the law so that you don't have to keep striving and earning for God to love you. He looks at you and is pleased with you. And so Paul continues his thought to help the Galatians understand this by saying, those who belong to Christ Jesus. So that's who's people who've chosen to follow Jesus. You've decided to submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. He is your King and your goal is to follow his ways versus your ways. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
That is some strong language Paul uses. Crucify the flesh. If you remember, that's how Jesus died, through crucifixion. So when the Romans would put someone on a cross, put nails through their wrists, strip them of their clothes, and let them hang there for hours till they suffocated. Horrible. So Paul is bringing out this imagery to remind them, hey, you've got to ruthlessly eliminate this from your life. You've got to stop following your own passions and desires because that's your natural inclination. That's what the flesh is. It's your sin nature. And sin is anything you do that hurts yourself or hurts others, which ultimately hurts your relationship with your heavenly father. And so this sin nature is our own inclination to live how we want to live. It's easy to fall into it. The way of Jesus is actually a much harder way because it goes against what we believe. And I don't need to teach you guys or tell you guys, it's easy to see that we want to do what we want to do to live how we want to live. Just look at a toddler, a teenager, or even us, a bunch of adults, right? We all have a nature that says, I want to do what I want to do. Essentially, in culture, you might have heard statements like, uh, satisfy your own soul, or you do you. Those are fine statements. They're not necessarily bad. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to keep giving, getting the same results if you try to satisfy your own soul. If you just do what you want to do. What Paul is explaining is you can't do that. You've got to become more and more like Jesus. And the way you do that is by uh, crucifying your flesh with its passions and desires. Because you have a new nature a nature that is no longer submitting to yourself. And what theologians call this is what, the, what this terminology is, spiritual formation. It's the formation of becoming more and more like Jesus and to truly following the way of Jesus. Dallas Willard, he's a professor and a theologian formerly at the University of Southern California. He puts it this way. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Essentially what you're trying to do is replace everything you think of, your own nature, your desire to do what you want to do, which is creating the same result with Jesus's desires, his passions, his way of living for your life. Now, when we hear that, we're like, yes, I want that. But the problem is we keep falling back into the same way we're living. We might make statements like, well, Raul, I've tried that. I'm just, I'm not able to change. I can't do that. Life is too hard. There's too many things pulling from my attention. I can't do that. I have to just keep going into my own nature and just live that way. Well, true, but not true. If you're truly trying to follow the way of Jesus, you actually have to fight against your sin nature and say, it's not my master. Paul explains it this way in Romans. When he's talking to the Romans, he says, sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Remember, the law is doing things to please God and to please yourself. It's doing these things where you think you have to earn and strive for God. He says, no, sin is not your master. You don't have to live that way. Instead, you now live under the freedom of God's grace. What that means is you don't have that burden anymore of living uh, to please something else or even yourself. You don't have to give into your own nature. You get to live a free life and that weight is lifted off your shoulders. And so if we, that's the first step to really understanding how do we keep aligned? How do we stay in alignment for the way, way of Jesus? Back to the Galatians, he continues his statement and he says this. This is how we stay in alignment. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Now, the spirit is God's Holy Spirit. It's what you receive when you become a follower of Jesus. It's essentially God giving you the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. How awesome is that? 
It's God's way of guiding you through life. But here's the thing. It's it, the way you get this or the way you listen to the spirit and keep in step with the spirit is not through hours of meditation, hoping he speaks to you audibly. That's not how God speaks. It's that small, still, quiet voice that says, hey, pay attention to this. Hey, watch out for this. But every day, it's your choice and my choice to, to pay attention to that voice. Essentially, it's a way of abiding. It's a way of remaining connected to Jesus because the way to follow and the way to abide, it's an active lifestyle. It's not a passive one. We have to make the choice every single day. And so for following the way of Jesus, in order to do that, he was so good at that, that we've got to follow him and look at his way of life to determine how to keep in step with the spirit. Because obviously he was good at it. I mean, he was God in the flesh. He was God on this earth, God in a bod, right? That's who Jesus was. So as I was studying for this message and looking at all the practices of Jesus, I had this moment where I was like, okay, what did Jesus do exactly to help him keep in step with the spirit, to help him stay aligned? Okay, so he quoted scripture he went around and traveled around teaching. He prayed, he ate, he had isolate. And I started listing every single thing. And I was going to present that list to you, which defeats the purpose of my message. It's a huge list. And it's almost impossible to do some of those things today because we don't live in that same time frame. We don't have that same way of life. It was kind of like looking at the Cheesecake Factory menu. Oh my gosh. When you sit down, they hand you this 100-page booklet. 10 pages is appetizers. 25 pages is the entrees, and 50 pages is the desserts. And every time I leave Cheesecake Factory, I'm never satisfied. I mean, the food's great, but the problem is I have FOMO every time I leave because I get like maybe the dulce de leche cheesecake, right? I get that one, but then I walk by the, the case as I leave, and I'm like, oh, dang, maybe I should have gotten, would that have tasted better, the red velvet cheesecake? Or maybe that pumpkin cheesecake, or maybe the key lime cheesecake, or maybe the white chocolate macadamia cheesecake. Oh, there's a Nutella cheesecake. Sorry, I should probably stop. You're probably going to go to Cheesecake Factory now and make the line really long for me after, lunch, after this. But that's what happens with me when I look at the Cheesecake Factory menu. There's so many options, I'm never satisfied. And if we look at the life of Jesus, that's, that would have happened. However, when really understanding how to follow Jesus and how to keep in step with the Spirit, he actually made one statement that will help us understand what to do. And Luke, who investigated the life of Jesus, wrote, down, wrote it down for us. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Everything Jesus did points back to this, to say, I've got to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news? That God is not angry with you. He sees you and wants a relationship with you. And because he said, Jesus, you don't have to go through anybody. You can have a relationship with Jesus directly to, through, through Jesus to God. And he says, that is why I was sent. It's essentially a purpose statement. It's a guiding framework of what Jesus did, where anytime he would choose who to, to heal or places he would go, he would base it off of this statement. Am I allowed to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to these towns? If I don't, then he said, no, I'm not going there. Or yes, I will go there. It's essentially he had this framework that helped him live his life. And so what I'd like to propose for us is we need that kind of framework to follow the way of Jesus, to keep in step of the spirit. And it's based on this ancient practice that some philosophers say it started in the third century. And it was a rhythm of life that helped people really build into uh, practice, spiritual practices and rhythms to help them live the way of Jesus. And it's called this. It's called the rule of life. The rule of life. Now, here's the problem with this statement. I just said the word rule, 
And you're like, Raul, isn't your series called Lists, Rules, and Boxes to Check? Oh my, there has to be a better way. Aren't you contradicting yourself? Yes, I am contradicting myself this morning. Just kidding. Let me explain. I think we've misunderstood the word rule. We've treated the word rule like the word law. And a law is something that is given to you, mandated. Uh, There's no grace if it's broken, just consequences. Think of it as a speed limit sign, right? None of us would ever fall into this trap. But if you were to go over the speed limit and a cop pulled you over, a police officer, they would ask this question, do you know how fast you were going? And you would say, no, I don't. They would still proceed to write you a ticket, right? And you would have to pay a fine, go to traffic school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a law. The difference between a law and a rule is a rule is self-generated. It's not shame or guilt-based. It's actually relationship-based. Let me explain it this way. Growing up, did your parents have rules? Probably, right? Did you enjoy those rules? No, you hated them. You thought they were so stupid, didn't you? What did you say while growing up? You said, when I have kids, I am not going to have any rules, right? Now that you have kids, what do you have? Rules. Why? Because you don't want them to terrorize society, right? Like you want them to be functioning human beings. You don't want them throwing things at other people. You don't want them causing chaos. You want them to behave. You want them to become a better human being. So you put rules into place to help them become that, right? Otherwise, you, you wouldn't be able to live. You wouldn't be able to even show up today. You'd be like, I can't put them in Wombar Upstreet. I can't send them into the real world. And so that's why you have rules. Last week, I was talking to a friend of mine out in Colorado, and we were comparing um, our rules for technology, specifically phones. And as we were talking about our rules, trying to help each other out to figure out what's the best way to help our teenagers, we weren't doing that with malicious intent. We weren't saying, we hope they never get a phone. We hope they never have a phone. We want them to be hermits and in bubbles and never have technology. Why? Because we probably thought that a phone would grow, be so attached to their hand and become a growth thing. No, that's not why. We did that because we want them to be able to have face-to-face conversations, to function outside of their room with a screen in front of them, right? That was our goal. That is our goal. And here's the interesting thing. During the conversation, we came to this point. We started talking about the consequences. And we both had very similar consequences, but we both said the same thing. That this rule would not be like, this is the consequence no matter what, done. We said, well, the consequence is really based on how they respond. We also determined how good our relationship was with them, that the consequence was based on. Because our goal was the relationship and to help them grow, not to have a hard and steadfast rule. That's the difference between a law and a rule. And so for us, a rule of life, this is basically another way of having structure, another way of really growing in your way of Jesus, similar to what this is. This is called a trellis. And here's the cool part. The English word for rule came from the Greek derivative of trellis. And a trellis is here to help a vine grow. A vine not attached to a trellis actually can only bear a fraction of the fruit it needs to bear. See, what happens with a vine in the wild is it wraps itself up in itself, and so only part of it can get the sunlight. And without the sun, it's more susceptible to diseases and being on the ground and just growing wherever, it's more susceptible to animals, specifically coyotes coming and destroying it. With a trellis, as you attach it, a vine grows up in the direction of life. Sunlight hits all of it, and it produces 10 times the fruit if it weren't on a trellis. And essentially, this is just a framework to help produce fruit. 
And I believe a rule of life is exactly that. It's a trellis. It's a structure. It's a framework to help us grow to be more and more like Jesus, to help keep us in step with the Spirit. The official uh, definition of a rule of life is this. A schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms you order your life around to follow the way of Jesus. That's a very wordy thing. I'm a more simplistic kind of guy. Let me boil it down for you. Basically, a rule of life is a plan for living. That's it. Just a plan for living. It's a framework to help you keep in step with the spirit. Now, in your rule of life, there needs to be five categories that affect you or that you kind of make commitments under. Let me give you those five categories. So obviously you want to start with the relationship with God. You've got to stay connected to Jesus as the vine. At least none of this will work if you're truly trying to live the way of Jesus. That commitment underneath the relationship with God might look something like, uh, the best way to start my day is to hear what Jesus has to say, right? It's praying, reading your Bible, or insert any other spiritual practice to help you connect with God. The second category is going to be your personal life or health. This could mean I work out a certain amount of times a week. It could mean I rest this much. It could even mean every month I check my finances to see how I'm giving, saving, and living. The next category is going to be relationships. This might be a date night weekly with your spouse, eating dinner with your family a certain amount of times a week. It could even be cultivating friendships or spending time with developing specific relationships within your life. The next category is church. Now, the reason I put this in here is because church helps you keep in step with the spirit because you know, you've practiced the pause and then you forget and you get busy. But church reminds you to keep staying in step with the spirit. It helps you keep aligned. And so it's coming to church. And then last but not least is work. Now, this is a big part of the majority of our lives. Work is a big deal. And so maybe your work for you could be something like, I'm only going to work a certain amount of hours per week or I'm only going to work a certain amount of nights per week. So this, these are the five categories to develop a rule of life. Now, you might be sitting there going, okay, um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of work. It's a little overwhelming. I said the same thing while developing this talk. I had this moment where I literally was about to delete everything I wrote down because I got so overwhelmed saying, okay, God, I'm trying to tell them to minimize their life, to slow down. And this is a huge list that I'm asking them to do. And I started getting so panicked and me and God had this conversation uh, and, and, and really God's not talking to me. It's more like me having a conversation with myself and he's just like guiding me. And he's like, and he reminds me, he's like, Raul, you do this already. You actually have a rule of life. And it's funny because that something, one of my parameters for developing a talk is I'm not going to ask you to do something I would haven't done or don't plan on doing. And so for this, he's like, you just haven't written them down. But if you were to ask people in your life for each of these categories, do you have a commitment underneath? They would all say yes, that you live your life this way. And it reminded me, the question really we should be asking is not, do you have a rule of life? It's, do you know what your rule of life is? See, we all have a pattern of living. We all have a way of doing things. For example, you might wake up in the morning and your pattern of living might determine how fast you grab your phone. Do you eat breakfast? Do you not eat breakfast? Do you take the same way to work or to school? Does your pattern of living dictate your bedtime routine and what you do on the weekend? If I were to have you sit down and say, write those down, you would be able to write those down. You already do this. But the difference is, is that the question I want you to ask yourself is, is my current rhythm or pattern of living helping me live the way of Jesus? Is it helping me keep in step with the spirit? 
See, what I believe is we need to have a pattern of living that is intentional. We need to put some more intentionality around some of these things. Um, we need to start small and create a structure. And because as a follower of Jesus, if you're in this room and as a follower of Jesus, we should all have a well-established pattern of living that helps us remind us of who we are in Christ and helps us remind us of our relationship with Jesus and with our Heavenly Father every single day. Let me explain. Under each of these categories is a commitment, and this is a way to be more intentional. For example, with your relationship with God, do you just spend time with Jesus just to check a box? Or are you doing it to keep in step with the spirit? For your personal life and health, do you work out just to, just to be swole? Or do you do it to really honor God with the body he's been giving you so you have the strength and you can lean into the passions and, and the desires he's given you to serve him well? Under your relationships, are you just looking for friendships or are you looking for relationships that point you back to following the way of Jesus? For church, is church just something you attend or a community you belong to? And so you get plugged in by giving, serving, and grouping here. Or if you're online, wherever you are. And then work. Do you just see a work as a way of means to a financial end? Or do you see it as a way where you can help other people live the better way? When someone says, gosh, my life, it wasn't what I expected. Or I can't, I keep, never feel like I can catch up. I feel like I'm just running, running, running in this hamster wheel. And you could say, hey, I know a better way. Do you see the intentionality you can put behind this about the way you're already living? It's nothing new. It's already an established pattern that you have. It's already a structure. You already have a framework. But I'm just trying to give you a rule of life that helps you guide you to keep in step with the spirit. Now, again, when you hear a message like this, our natural inclination is to add it to already crammed up life, right? Of course, you're going to get overwhelmed if you try and do that. Instead, what I want you to do is start small. Take time. This will take time. Give yourself grace. Maybe today when you go home, you pick one. And I would, I would suggest starting with your relationship with God if you don't already have that as a pattern. And you just try it out for a couple weeks. Introduce it as a rhythm, as a habit. And don't beat yourself up when you don't do it. That defeats the purpose. That's what's called legalism. Where you think you have to do certain things to earn God's love or even make yourself feel better. Don't fall into that trap. That is a rule. It's a rule in a law sense, not a rule of life kind of sense. And see, the more you do this, the more you'll start growing on a trellis because you've established a framework, you've established a structure and you'll start growing more and more and keeping in step with the spirit and to becoming who the, per, the me you want to be and ultimately who your heavenly father wants to be. That's what I want you to do because when you do that, when you have a support structure in your life, that's when you experience the full life Jesus promises you. That life where you experience his fullness, where you love others deeply and you walk slowly enough to experience that. And that's the part of the prayer I want you to focus on this next week. Now that we've walked slowly enough, we've made space for Jesus, for God to do this in our lives. We're gonna now say, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and then to love people deeply. And what I love is then you're going to start seeing fruit this week. The more you experience the fullness of God, it's going to naturally come out of you to the people around you. And you'll have better relationships with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. Plus, you're going to love them even more so where you're not going to blow up at them when they interrupt you. You're not going to be more irritable with people. You're going to let people merge into traffic with you. I know that's a tough one, but you're going to let it's going to be it's going to happen. Just wait. 
And you'll just start seeing fruit because you're experiencing Jesus fully. So let's be a people who keep in step with the spirit. That way we stay aligned to following his way, the better way. And that's when we stay connected to Jesus because he's the one who's our source of strength. He is the one who gives us hope every day because he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He is the one who keeps us going and to change the way we're living, the better way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thanks for showing us that there is a better way of living, that we don't have to keep running this rat race where we feel like we can never keep up and we can never get our head above water and we feel like we're constantly in the weeds. But no, there is a better way and it's through your son, Jesus, where we don't have to hurry. We still accomplish so many things, even though we're busy, but we don't have to hurry. We'll pay attention to more people. We'll have more self-control. We'll have better relationships with our spouses and our kids. So Lord, thanks for giving us a framework, a rule of life that we can pattern our way of living and create habits and rhythms in our lives so that we can follow your way. So Father, this week, help us be a group of people who keep in step with the Spirit so we can experience your son Jesus fully. It's in his mighty name we pray, amen.